Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And today is uh, our last episode of May. Wow, is it really the last one? Yeah. Amazing. I have not been keeping track of this month. (laughs) (laughs) At all. Yeah. Uh, It's the last month that we have for May. It's episode 222. Amazing. Uh, so that means that also that we're bringing an end with this episode, uh, our celebration of Air- Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yes. Uh, all month long we have been uh, recognizing uh, AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, and, you know, we've been looking at the, at the history and the contributions of Asian American and Pacific Islander people in, in film across a pretty wide swath of of films you know we began with with bruce lee uh and now we're sort of fittingly coming around and we're ending with another martial arts film Mm -hmm. um and it's it's been quite the interesting journey uh this episode is going to be a lot of fun we're going to also talk about uh the mission impossible dead reckoning trailer and we're also going to talk about the Thor Love and Thunder trailer. Yes. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of good stuff. But like we were saying, this month is all about AAPI heritage. And our, our two movies this month, or for this episode, are comedies. You know, every episode mm-hmm. we do something a little bit different. And we decided to go and, and pull two comedies. And we're starting... Uh, our reviews with uh, the ping pong playa, which is a uh, a sports comedy, mm-hmm. and then we're going to move into the Paper Tigers, which is a martial arts comedy. Yes. Um, and I think comedy is really interesting because comedy is a very cultural thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, the great example is that like no idioms are really like understood outside of that that culture. Yes, that makes sense. Um, and I think that, like, jokes and humor are very much that way as well. Like, that's why so many versions of The Office end up taking on, like, if you ever have, have delved into the international versions of The Office. I mean, I've, I've watched episodes of the original Office from um, England, and no, I understand. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch in places. Like, some episodes are totally funny, but the others, you're just like, I, I couldn't get through the first season. I was like, I had to tap out. Um, some parts were just kind of unwatchable, because I was like, what are they even saying? Yeah. <laughs> and so, every every world version of The Office is pretty much also kind of like that, where there are certain things that they draw directly from the original Office series, usually, or even from the American Office. They'll go mm-hmm. and recreate certain things. But then linking those bits together, it's all just, like, completely cultural-specific humor. No, yeah, because I love, um, you know, I love the American office, but I'm sure that, like, vice versa for somebody who, like, is from England and watched the, the British office was was probably, like, appalled by, by what we had to, to, had to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, also... Looking, looking at film, of course, you also get the, the great aspects of how universal certain things are. And so, like, one of the great things about 
American comedies is that it is very specifically like a cultural thing for all of us, you know, like it's, it's a very specific sort of humor and, and shorthand that we all know leads to a funny joke. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought that it could be interesting to go and look at, at two Asian American and Pacific Islander films and filmmakers and, and how sort of they employ humor for different sorts of situations and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, before we begin, I guess, just out of curiosity, I always like to ask you a nice, broad, vague question. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what I guess, do you look for in a comedy? What are some of, like, your favorite comedies? Um, um I don't know. I guess, like, fully, full commitment to it. Yeah. You know, like, whatever, whatever your, your shtick is, whatever your bit is, it's like, fully, full, honest commitment to it, so that that way, um... The things that you're doing are funny to me as a viewer, not to you as as the character. You know, um, you if if you the actor is aware that you the character is funny, then like it ruins the joke. Yeah, if if in Barb and Star they were both too in on the fact that Barb and Star were ridiculous, then it wouldn't make them honest and interesting in these ridiculous situations, mm -hmm. you know, and them just being them, their true selves is funny to us. But for them, you know, this was them at their happiest, their best life was happening like right before us. And I think that that's great. Like I, and that's why, you know, I, I love Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I think that that's one of the, like the best comedies that has ever come out in the, the past like decade. Honestly, we've been really slacking on good comedies in the past like few years. It's because they don't really hit a lot of, one, a lot of the good comedy writers are on TV. Mm. That's one. I think two, um, they're in everything that a studio doesn't want to do right now. They are small to middle budget. They do not have international appeal, right? Like Talladega Nights doesn't really play oh, that broadly. No, no. I I mean I totally understand that, but like there is a market for it here. And so the fact that they're just going, uh, who cares about you guys? We want everybody else's money. So we have to kind of like vagify. Franchise or bust, baby. Ah, uh, disgusting. There should always be variety. Um, and like, we still do have like some good comedy movies out there, but to your point, they are, it doesn't feel like we have as many as we once had. It feels. No, it felt like we, at one point in time, I I can, like, solidly remember, like... A solid swinger of a comedy movie. Yeah, you know, one that, like, really got you. Like, good, funny movie. At least once a quarter in theaters. Yeah, and now it's just... The only comedy that I can think of that we watched that I was like, oh, this is funny, is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar and, like, the recent history... Like, the years of things coming out that are new. Yeah. You know, like, I love going back to, to older movies that, that I enjoy, but also, like, it's so refreshing to get something hot off the presses, you know, right out of the theater. No, I completely get where you're at. Um, parts of Texas Chainsaw Massacre were hilarious. Oh, God, yeah, you know what? You are right. That that, <laughs> But that, I don't know... I think that they were just borderline enough for people to, like, I wouldn't label that as a comedy. You know, it's a horror movie. 
No, it is more horror. I think it does start to, in the third act, push a little horror comedy more, but it is mostly a horror film. And for, like, people who aren't us, who don't watch horror movies, I'm sure that they would, would genuinely be scared by, by some of the things that happened in that movie. You know, but for us, we can see through it, and therefore we can see the, the comic underbelly. Yeah. <laughs> She gets yeeted through the floor. Oh, uh, she gets yeeted through the floor, and then old, that old lady just does her whole monologue about her surviving <laughs> just to get fucking her ass kicked in, like, the third act, and it's perfect. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> she takes so long to get there, too. So I, I agree with you completely, you know? I think that you have to be committed to the bit. Whatever it is, you have to be 100% in it, because, um... Comedy is either it's great or it's bad. Because even if it's just in the middle, then it's probably forgettable and it's bad. And yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I also, um, you know, you, you, you asked me the other day if I, if I watched like comedy specials. Yeah, like stand up. And I, I really don't because like for me, I don't... I think that the best comedians on stage, like, understand their bit and understand what about their bit is funny and, like, really know how to tell a joke and, like, how to land those, you know... How the, to commit to the character. Yeah, exactly. And, like, there are some co comedy specials out there that are not funny. Yeah. Painfully not. And I don't want to waste that that amount of time. Like, I would love... That's why I would rather watch a comedy movie. Yeah. Because, like, more thought is put into an entire movie being made than like your your stand-up bit like no offense well and also i mean when it comes to random comedy stand-up comedy specials on netflix you know you, you want to talk about like limited quality control you have no idea what you're about to be getting no into. exactly exactly i feel like at one point in time you could see a comedy special on somewhere and you'd be like oh this must be good yeah they've got a special yeah. Oh, wow. This is this is rare that you get to get this person special. But now it's like anybody can have a special. I could have a special. You could have a special. I know. <laughs> I know the exact people to talk to. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but I guess we should go ahead and you know now that we've talked a little bit about comedy, I guess we should go ahead and jump into some of our main discussion before we do discuss our films, of course. I had to bring a little history to you. Of course. I had to bring a little history to the people because our movies were a little light on it this week. So I had to go and bring a little history, a little perspective this week. So I decided to dive into something that I thought would be interesting to look at, which is um, an actor who's actually considered to be sort of the first Asian film star. And his name is uh, Sasue Hayakawa. And he's from the silent era. Fascinating. The thing is, most people don't really know him from the silent era because a large portion of his films are actually considered lost. Most people know him from his later career, where he played a gentleman bad guy kind of figure in a lot of things. He was the main villain of Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. That sounds like a movie that my dad would love. Yes. 
your dad has definitely seen and loves Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, that the name sounds familiar. I have no reference point for it, but I it's it sounds like my father's cup of tea. And so I thought that I would go ahead and talk a little bit about him because we didn't talk about him. You know, we started with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that I would go and use our last day of the month to go and talk about someone who who predated Bruce Lee on the screen, but because of lots of reasons, I'm sure, uh, we don't have many of his actual early films that he made mm-hmm. as as a film star of the silent era. Honestly, back in the day, they used to just like throw stuff away. They were like, yeah, ah, like it's, it's garbage now. And it also, it was very fragile- Mm-hmm. film it was very brittle uh there are lots of reasons like i said that it's gone lots of reasons but at at one point in time he was considered to be right up there with with some of the big ones so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh sasue hayakawa so uh he was born in uh Chiba, Japan, uh, in an in an area called uh, Mina Miboso, and his father was the head of a fisherman's union, and he had five siblings. His birth name was actually Kintaro Hayakawa. Uh, okay. I couldn't figure out why he changed it. I don't know. TBD. Uh, <laughs> so uh he was a, apparently intended to join the navy that was sort of his family's ambition for him and he went to navy training was in the academy he was going to become an officer and one day while out swimming in some sort of lagoon he and the fellas get into like a, a series of bets and he decides to try and swim to the bottom of the lagoon and he does or he gets close to it and he ends up rupturing his eardrum. Oof. So it ends up actually leading to him failing his physical and being ineligible to join the military. Mm-hmm. So he comes home you know, his entire career derailed. It creates a lot of strain between he and his father. Uh, and he ends up actually attempting suicide at the age of 18. Oh, no. Uh, his his father ends up being the one that saves him. And uh, then he travels to America. His first years in America are up for a certain amount of debate. Okay. So there is a version of the story that says that he came to America, went to the University of Chicago, and started studying uh, political economics. Okay. And that he left there, graduated from there, was coming back home, stopped off for a spill in California. And boom! Found theater. Bada bing. There it is. However, there is another version of the story, which is that he went to California either to work or to visit his brother and ended up just kind of working various odd jobs around California, including like day laborer, Mm. and then eventually found theater. Probably through eventually being like a stagehand, I would imagine. I mean, maybe, but like, 
you know, may we all be so lucky to find theater. And so... (laughs) You dork. (laughs) And so he ends up stumbling, however he does, into acting. uh, And around 1914, he ends up doing a few plays where he's the star of them. And one of them is called The Typhoon. Mm-hmm. And the typhoon ends up getting adapted into a film in 1914. Okay. Is uh, he in the film? Yes. Awesome. Uh, they end up doing the film with uh, the, the cast from the production. And mm-hmm. so he ends up in the film. He ends up starring in like multiple films in 1914 and 15. And he eventually ends up becoming an actor on contract to the famous players Lasky who goes on to become Paramount. Oh. Uh, and he ends up making, in 1915, a movie with Cecil B. DeMille, The Cheat, which ends up being, like, a big deal for his career. Mm. In the late teens and 20s, you know, he, he, he makes a lot of movies. He continues to make several films. And finally, in the late uh, teens, early 20s, he decides to make his own production company. It's apparently a little bit unsure of how he got the money for that. Um, he did have some money, but he didn't necessarily have, like, I'm starting a studio money. So there are there is some debate over, over where it all came from, specifically. And then he makes, at that studio, 23 films in a three-year window. Wow, that's a lot of films. They were really working at this man. Cranking. Yeah. And so, over time, he ends up running into a lot of different issues. He has some personal issues. He has some issues of uh, sort of bad publicity that's a whole bunch of, you know, paparazzi bullshit headlines he ends up sort of being the target of some anti-Asian sentiment. Mm. And he ends up leaving Hollywood and traveling to New York, and then eventually he travels across Europe. Probably for the best. And during this time, he does a lot of stage work. That's awesome. Uh, however, in the 30s, he decides to go and make some talkie films, and so he comes back, he gives him a shot, and it doesn't work out as well because his accent. Oh. Uh, and he was known, I should say, I forgot to mention this. He was known as a bit of a sex symbol. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was known for being, for being uh, a hot man. Uh, would you like to see a picture of Mr. Hayakawa? Yes, I would. All right, here he is. Boom. Oh my gosh, look at him. Look at the smolder. Look at this guy posing. Yeah. This is great. He said, I'm I'm ready for the camera. Yeah, he's ready He's ready to be Batman right now. Look at this Bruce Wayne type. That's right. Yeah, he does look like a, like a <laughs> Hollywood playboy. Yeah. So. Well, that's why he was in the tabloids. Yeah. Uh, his talkies don't go so well for him, and uh, he ends up going and, and continuing to do stage work. Uh, he ends up doing some vaudeville, actually, as well. And his travels lead him to France, and wouldn't you know it, whoops-a-doodles, he ends up trapped in France for a little while under no- Nazi occupation. 
casual. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Look at history connecting the dots. And so he ends up stranded there with like a few other uh, Asian artists as well and that sort of thing. And he's there until, uh, you know, occupation ends. Finally into the 40s and 50s, once he comes back to America, beginning in like 49, he starts to show up in movies again, starting with a movie called Tokyo Joe. Then he does another World War II film called Three Came Home. And then he does Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. So he continues to work throughout sort of the the 50s. He continues to work into the 60s, but then he starts to taper off his workload. And he mostly works as an actor primarily, really, in like the later part of his career. And eventually he, um, he retires in 1966. He becomes a Zen master. Fantastic. Uh, and then he dies in Tokyo, night, uh, November 23rd, 1973, due to complications from pneumonia. Oh. And so that's a little bit of history about the first uh, Asian... And the, the person that wanted him for a movie in Tokyo Joe was Humphrey Bogart. He specifically sought him out. Oh, that's awesome. So there's a little bit of fun history for you about uh, the first Asian film star. Wow. I, um, I had no idea that any of this um, information existed. I, I never knew that... That there was an, an Asian actor so far back in Hollywood. He was making for a period of time at the peak of his career a weekly salary of like $9,000. Woof! Wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! $9,000 in like like the 30s money? Yeah, he had... Oof. Damn. Cheddar. He was up there with you know how I mentioned that there were there were famous people that he was in good company with or considered to be amongst the ranks of in terms of pay and, and mm -hmm. status? Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, John Barrymore. Wow. Mm, rolling in money. <laughs> <laughs> My God. And I mean, like, this, even in modern standards, like, if, you, if you're coming home with $9,000... You're coming with 9000 a week? Oh, wow. Look at you in this economy. Hey, big spender. That's right. <laughs> My gosh. How fancy. Yeah, so uh, that's that's a little fun fact for you that I thought I would go and, and use as our, our last little bit of, of Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. No, this was great. Right here at the end. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. I think the picture for me really sold it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And once getting to see him, I was like, well, no wonder he was famous. Like, look at him. Yeah. And he ended up doing uh, several films across from, I think, the woman that would end up being his wife. Um, and then he also did several films where he had a an Asian woman as the lead across from him. So... He he really was quite the uh, quite the groundbreaker for for the time. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
And now I guess we'll pivot into a totally different feeling and vibe entirely. Oh, yeah. Than any of that history with uh, Ping Pong Playa. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this movie. Mm. <laughs> the title like gives you a lot, but it doesn't give you enough to prepare you for this movie. So let's uh, let's tell you a little bit about Ping Pong Playa here before we jump into the discussion. So, it was released September 5th, 2008. Its runtime is an hour and 36 minutes. It's rated PG-13. It's directed by Jessica Yu. It's written by Jimmy Sai and Jessica Yu. Nice. And it stars Smith Cho, Roger Fan, Jim Lau, Peter Page... Carrie Payton, Elizabeth Sung, Andrew Vo, and Jimmy Sai. And the plot is a kid dreams of playing professional basketball in order to escape his dead-end job, living in the suburbs, his bossy older brother, and running his mom's ping-pong class. Which, I guess that's kind of what it's about. Um... <laughs> Oh, gosh, no, take it away. You have to continue that thought. <laughs> okay, so, um, Ping Pong Playa. I had no idea what to expect with this movie. As far as my relationship to Ping Pong, but I guess more specifically cinema and Ping Pong, it's blazing, uh, it's uh, Balls of Fury. The, the movie with Dan Fogler and uh, Christopher Walken. Yes. Where it's like a Mortal Kombat style tournament of ping pong where if you lose the round, you're, you're killed. Oh, no, I've never heard of this and movie. And it's, it's a champion's bracket all the way up to like the final two, all for the entertainment of this deranged um, Asian culture obsessive criminal mastermind played by Christopher Walken. So that's been my only cinematic experience, really, with... Oh, that and, like, Forrest Gump. Yes. So... <laughs> he was a ping-pong champion. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, like, all that I got in terms of movies and ping-pong. Uh, so what did I expect going into this movie? Um, not what felt kind of in the same energy for me as that movie, um, Heavyweights. Uh-huh. About the kids at, like, the, the fat yeah, camp. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. In the 90s. Mm-hmm. For me, it kind of had that vibe. Okay, okay. You know, this kind of really weird underdog story in this very, you know, sort of niche environment world of, like, local ping pong tournament. Yeah. Uh, and... And it's very, very, very particular. But I actually really had a blast with it. Um, I think it's where I think it comes to life and where I think this movie absolutely sings is honestly in the chemistry of probably the lead. Oh, yeah. No. Um, Jimmy Sao? Sai. Sai? Mm-hmm. Mm. Jimmy Sai is fantastic. Super charismatic. And honestly, like, I, if I had anybody else playing this character, it would have... It would have been disingenuous, and I would have probably hated this entire movie. Yeah, because it's a it's a jerk hero. 
Yeah, and it's a jerk hero done successfully for me because um, at the end of the day, he's just kind of like a lazy kid, you know? Like, he doesn't really want to do anything, but he still wants to have, like, you know, the, the ability to go off and hang out with his friends and, and dick around and, you know, just, like, live his life the way that he wants to. And so, like, his mom ends up getting hurt in a car accident that he casually causes by accident um, while dicking around. <laughs> And he ends up having to, like, teach her class of, um, she teaches ping pong. To, to children. To children. So that that way the parents buy the ping pong equipment from their store that her husband runs. It's a whole family affair. And he basically wants, like, nothing to do with it. You know, he's just kind of like a lazy dude. But, like, at the end of the day, he's got a good heart. Yeah. And that's really important. Whereas, like, with movies like, um... Oh gosh, Adam Sandler in A Crazy Nights. Yeah, we talked has, about this. Has after no heart. It. Yeah. yeah, and I think that this is if that movie was more like this, then I would have really enjoyed it. You know. Yeah, Eight Crazy Nights. The Adam Sandler character doesn't do anything to really make his redemption, and people choosing to forgive him feel like a worthwhile payoff in the end. No, yeah, but in this movie, we get to watch our our characters start to care about something other than himself, and it's these kids, and it's their weird relationship together, and, you know, he he wants desperately to be a basketball player, but he's he's doing this for his mom, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, he wants to represent for the family, and that's more important, but he is going to be a basketball star one day, and he wants to emphasize that, um... But it's just really goofy and a lot of fun. And his his relationship with with his friend, um, JP, JP Money. Yeah. Um, and and um, his, like, 12-year-old bestie of the class. F-bomb. Yeah, Felix. It's just, like, it's just a really, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I have really no notes for it other than the fact that, like, if you've never seen a 2007 movie, buckle up, baby. Well, because the 2000s are all over this thing. <laughs> like, it also has this very weird thing, and maybe I guess this is also part of the, the 2007s-ness of it. It has this weird thing of, like, like rubber bouncing ball sound effects to like hide certain curse words yeah that's the pg-13 of it and but like a pg-13 can get away with saying these words so like no, really... yeah i think it's for a lower pg-13 i think that they're like maybe you might be 12 still you know <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll bleep them out but you know what it means kids because you're edgy <laughs> and so it's uh it's a really odd choice but no you're absolutely right it's very 2007 it's a very low stakes movie Mm -hmm. And I think that for some people, that can make the movie sometime feel insignificant in some sort of way. But I think that you really end up just having to buy off on the relationship of these people. Mm -hmm. And if you don't buy off on that, then it isn't going to necessarily work for you. But I think that they do a good job of making all of the characters seem likable and funny and interesting you know, his dad has his moments of being very funny. Um, you know, the mom is probably the the most underwritten of the family unit, but that's also, I guess, because she ends up being the sort of least engaged with anything because she is sort of the one, like, in sickbed. 
Yeah, you know. exactly. Um, and like the the jerky older brother who's been able to get everything successfully, but is also like an asshole as well a little bit because he's like smarmy. You know, he's he's the pretty boy. He's never had to try, and everything has been given to him. Whereas our lead never has to try, and like doesn't really care. <laughs> no, and also I think the other thing that this movie does well is that it does bring to its voice very directly its opinions on certain things about Asian American representation. Oh yeah, for sure. And also how people react to them and how they react to others and, and, you know, sort of the societal expectations versus, you know, what's accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, I think that it of course manages to work in some of the prejudice elements of, you know, like the villain Mm-hmm. And some of how he almost, you know, tries to get away with his dastardly deeds. But also without ever, like, drawing it too much to the forefront to really distract from how fun and light the narrative is supposed to be. No, because at the end of the day, I think that this movie is is supposed to be funny to to people who understand what it's like to be, um, you know, given, given, like, a false compliment. You know what I mean? Um... And I think that that happens a lot in this movie with the white characters specifically, that they will say something that is totally not appropriate. But for them, they're like, I don't understand why it's not appropriate. And the joke is for, and that's why they're played to be like so, so stupid. Dense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're supposed to be on the side of our, of our lead. No, for so, sure. Um, no, I can, I, I thought that this movie was, was hysterical, honestly. And like, I totally, even with, you know, it, it putting in these these bits of reality never took away from the the heart of the film, I think. No, uh, I, I completely agree with, with everything that you just said. Um, I, I, of course, could have done with a little bit more ping pong, but that's just my own personal preference. Oh you my know. gosh, no, yeah. I loved, I loved the, like, whole training montage with him, like, still, like, not playing ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I I think that I think that you said it really well. Uh so if you had to rate Ping Pong Playa uh out of out of 5, what would you give it? Oh gosh. Um No, I really loved this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it a biased 5. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I think I think that that's fair. I'll go um I'll go with, I think, like a a three and a half to a four. Okay, I think that that's fair. I think that you're giving the honest answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, according to IMDb, it was at like a 4.9 out of 10. And and that seems just... I mean, 5.9, excuse me. That seems low. No, right? I like I I just really thought that this movie had like a lot of charm to it and like is it for everybody? Probably not. But no. like also like I don't watch a lot of sports movies and like genuinely like in a genuine sense like I'm not watching like an Air Bud movie, you yeah. know. But like this was great. This Remember had, the Titans. Yeah, this had just enough sports in it to be a sports movie, but like didn't so that that way I had didn't have to like watch people play sports for 2 hours. And and it wasn't a lot of people being all heavy-handed about, you know, the importance of the game. You know, yeah. it was like, no, this is our livelihood. Exactly. You and know, you, you put the you put the, the you spokes put the and the bike on this thing. Yeah, you put the family you know, at risk right now. Like, yeah. this is where we get all of our money. So, 
you know, it's it's very simple stuff. Yeah, but like totally, totally with with heart. It felt like one of those it's, movies that like it would have been like a Disney Channel original, but like nicer. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, no, for sure. I completely agree. Uh, so I guess without further ado, we'll now move into our second movie. Uh, yes. The Paper Tigers. So for a little bit of production background info on The Paper Tigers, the director and writer of this, Bao Tran, began developing the idea for it back in 2011. Um, he loved martial arts. Uh, he was, you know, getting older. Mm-hmm. His life was changing. He was meeting guys his age and, and hanging out with guys his age, and, you know, their lives were going through these upheavals and things like that. And so he wanted to sort of combine some of that feeling of personal dissatisfaction with his... Not dissatisfaction, but, you know, those those feelings of um, of just life changing. Yeah, where's you know? the time gone? Yeah. Uh, you know, into a movie about also friendship and martial arts. And... Well, I think I... I think he succeeded. I'm just going to throw that one right on out there. (laughs) (laughs) Tip in the hand early. Uh, And so studios were very reluctant to approach the film. Interesting. They weren't sure that anyone was going to want to watch a, you know, martial arts film like this. They definitely weren't sure if anyone was going to want to watch one with an Asian lead. Uh, They got... A studio <laughs> who was willing to give them $4 million for it. Nope. But there were two caveats. Caveat one, supposedly, uh, they had to cast Bruce Willis as the lead. What? <laughs> wow. I mean, this... N- no. Caveat two was that they had to try, quote, try, and write in a part for Nick Cage. For $4 million? Mm-hmm. And so it ended up falling through. They weren't going to take the deal anyway. And Good for them. Stand by your morals, people. Instead, they ended up going and, and trying to put together their own little thing, and so they created this little short film with like a whole bunch of, of stunt people essentially, and some other actors, and created this sort of test of concept by making the prequel part of the opening of the actual movie. And they used that as a sort of way to put it into festivals and and do crowdfunding, and they ended up also using that to get $1 million to make the movie. So they got a hundred-some-odd thousand in crowdfunding, and they got a million dollars to actually make the movie. Uh, they decided to film it in Seattle in an homage to Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took about 35 days to shoot the film. Wow. Pretty quick, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, when you only got, you know, that budget. Yeah, that's a pretty tight budget. You gots to go. Um... But they didn't let go of their morals, and that's what's important no, here. Yeah. And they ended up making the the film that he wanted to make. Yeah, and that's the most important thing. And so it was released May 7th, 2021. It has a runtime of an hour 48 minutes. It's also rated PG-13. 
It is written and directed by Bao Tran. Uh, it is its cast includes Guy De Silva, Matthew Page, uh, Ken Kitagua, Michael Shannon, Peter Adrian Sidarso, Yoshi Sidarso, Alan Yu, Roger Yuan, and Ron Yuan. And the plot is three kung fu prodigies have grown into washed-up, middle-aged men, now one kick away from pulling their hamstrings. But when their master is murdered, they must juggle their dead-end jobs, dad duties, and old grudges to avenge his death. And since I started on the last one, and you already said that you found that this film succeeded... Uh, dear, why don't you go ahead and, and take away, what did you think of, of Paper Tigers? Oh, I thought that this movie was, was great. Oh, gosh, the, the action in this movie is top-notch. Um, and, and the story is great, too. And I think that it's just, like, a really nice balance between, like, an action action movie and, like, a story, you know, as well. Because, like, I think that all of the characters were, were really likable and um, relatable and I really enjoyed this, like, journey back to, you know, who these people were, you know, now that they're, they're washed up and middle-aged, they get to, to get to come back, bring the band back together, basically, and, like, avenge the death of, of their Sifu, and I think that it's, like, a weird detective story as well, kind of thrown in the, in the middle of this, as they, like, go on the journey of figuring out what happened to him, um, and it's just, it's, it's, oh, it's just so kick-ass, too. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not understating how fantastic the fight sequences are in this movie. And, um, that's, that's hard. That's hard to do. That means that they had to actually get people who could do those things because they did not have the budget to do it like Marvel in the fake internet world. You know? They had to get people who literally, like, that's what they do. You, you couldn't have a body double here. You know what I mean? Not really. No, and and I'm sure that they did have a few instances of some body double work, but to your point, this wasn't a you know, we're going to bring in a whole a whole team, mm-hmm. you know, of of 20 some odd or, you know, 40 some odd people and we are going to shoot some stuff practically, but a lot of this stuff is also just going to be done in in complete computerscape. Yeah. Um, no, you know, and this isn't even like nobody where we're going to take this actor, we're going to train him for a year, and then we're also going to have 40, 60 million to play around with. No, this thing is like grassroots, you know, this is a... This, this is, is an independent movie. Yeah, literally, this is a movie, this is... This is an onyx example of what, you know, other people can do with, you know... You could theoretically cobble together, maybe not a million dollars, but you could cobble together the grants and the the funding for half a million dollars. And, like, make a film. Mm -hmm. That's completely, that's completely plausible, you know, and... And I think that this movie had a had a, just like a lot of heart to it. I really enjoyed the this story of this our our main guy who's just like just like a an absent dad. Like he's not meaning to be. Like he loves his son, 
but he's he's distracted by other things in his life that are pulling his attention more than more than this relationship should be. Well, you you brought something actually forward that I wanted to to sort of talk about, which is that in Ping Pong Playa we have Jimmy Size Sita Chris, who's almost a failure to launch. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take anything really too terribly seriously. Hasn't really excelled terribly much at anything. Or, like, the thing that he did excel at, he hasn't really done it in forever. Mm-hmm. You know, he sort of ran away from it early. And and now he's dealing with that. And I think it's interesting, we get some of those echoes a little bit here in the sense of he ran away from the thing that he was very good at. Mm-hmm. And now is is dealing with the consequences of what that has also done for him emotionally Mm -hmm. but now we're also dealing with the different thing we're not dealing with a failure to launch jerk hero we're now dealing with the wash up yeah which are kind of different ends of a similar spectrum of character type Mm -hmm. uh but he's also still kind of another jerk hero of a certain degree he is a little bit of an ass he isn't necessarily the best dad no, yeah, he's got a lot of growing to do, but he's just, like, doesn't want to put the effort into it until, you know, our movie gets going. And then he's put into situations where, like, you know, that cause him to go on that emotional growth journey through the movie. You know, we. It's, I think that it's just, um, and I, I love the, the, the character dynamics. I think that, for me, the weakest character was probably um, Jim. Yeah. I think that... I just, I just can't wrap my head around the the idea that you've trained from like, let's say that they were like six, seven years old in those beginning shots. I think oh. that they said that they started training with with Sifu when they were all like eight. I think. Okay, so if you're eight years old and then you train for ten years because they were basically like high school age by the end of that prequel, you know what is. You you train for ten years of your life to do the same thing every day, very regimented, and then you know I get the time passes, but like that's still in your bones, you know what I mean? And I just couldn't couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this man had completely lost all all of his kung fu knowledge entirely. I just was like, that's crap. <laughs> um, I felt like the other guys like brought it back too quickly, but I was like, you've lost everything. Yeah. You're, Every you, little bit. I don't use, you know, I didn't use math a lot, you know, throughout my daily life until this new job. But that doesn't mean that I just forgot how to do math. I haven't touched Taekwondo in forever. My form would probably be appalling. Could I do a few of the basic kicks in theory and some of the basic moves in theory? Yeah, probably right now I could. I would mean, they be great? No. But could I call upon them? Sure. A guy who learned all of that stuff and then got into mixed martial arts doesn't have any of it? You haven't used any of these moves even in- None of them? Even in mixed martial arts. You literally said, I don't need any of this anymore. You dropped it all cold? That's ridiculous. Like, I just, I can't- Especially since you still hold on to such a grudge about how you never got your chance- yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh, no. It's I think it's my weakest moment. But also, like, I mean, he wasn't my favorite of the three as an actor either. So, like, my attention really was brought forward to to our, our two other 
main leads, you know, are Danny um, and um, Hing. Yeah. Danny and Hing kill it. Yeah, they're fantastic. They they pull literally all of adult folk. I mean, uh, adult audience focus entirely. They, I'm 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 wrapped up in their storyline. Oh my gosh, and and just for me, like, I I liked Gee more as as young Jim as teen Jim than I than I liked older Jim. You no, know? that's fair. Uh, also going back real quick to Danny. You know, the, the, I think the other thing that's, that's so great about the movie is that both parts of his journey are written to be about the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not two different journeys that they then somehow at the last minute just tie together to be about the same thing. At the core, from the start of the movie to the end of the movie, both parts of his journey lead to the end point. And, and into the payoff of of the thing that's been wrong in both plots being, like, the same answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that that's also just, like, really good storytelling. That's, that's what makes um, this story... It's it's so simple, and it's it's so familiar, but it's not tired, and it's not... Tr- it's so kick-ass, too. Yeah, you know, it's... We haven't talked enough about that. It's so kick-ass! It's, first off, the concept stuff alone when they were starting out here's something when they were starting out and we were watching that prequel stuff of them when they were young Mm -hmm. and they were just fucking smoking people i was like you started out too strong Mm. i was like you're never gonna top this in the rest of the movie he just casually palm slammed a head's a dude's head through a wall and it's amazing and walked away like he didn't give a fuck. No, it's fantastic. We've peaked. We're never going to beat any of this. And then the movie, like, gets going. And and the it's fights just... may, may never quite look like that again, but they have all of this great character built into the action itself. There are some legitimately fantastic action beats still. And it feels very, like, relatable in the sense that, like, I know that I could never, like, achieve probably what these kids were as as a martial artist now in my life but i'm sure that like i could get to the point where they were in like their their 50s or whatever how old they were supposed to be now you know what i mean like i could i can feasibly see myself doing that and it was still awesome yeah you know like there were things that like there hing has a bum knee and he went into every single fight with his bone knee, giving me anxiety the entire time and was like, I'm a kick him. And I was like, ah, every time there were, there were moments where people would hit a surface and I was like, they're dead. Yeah. They're dead. And then they would be, they would like start to breathe again. And I was like, no, 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 but you're dead. <laughs> like in, in real life. It, it was, was just... hard hitting at times, you know, just some good visceral gritty pulpy action yeah it reminded me of how like nobody has some great fight sequences and i just love the fact that this movie gave me like nobody quality fights with like a a hundredth of the budget (laughs) um and you know i love that they also kind of built into their bad guy this kind of black hat bruce lee persona 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was also great to kind of start and end the month with a martial arts film. Yeah, yeah. And to sort of see where it really blossomed from. Bruce Lee is really, you know, one of a few guys here who knows what he's doing, but Bruce Lee is definitely the only one who really knows what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, where we were watching, like, the next tier down, basically. Like, they were old. <laughs> you know? And, like, they lost some fights, but they won some others. So, like, it was it was a good time. And, like, I think that, I, I think that you're right. I, I really enjoy this kind of, like, parallel that we've had with um, watching Bruce Lee at the beginning of our month and coming here to a very modern, it just came out in 2020, martial arts film and like how the how the genre itself is even you know come kind of back around to to its honest roots but unlike the bruce lee movie i actually um care about the the plot between the fight sequences a little bit more so yeah oh yeah you know in this like this had like a truly interesting story where like no offense to that, to the Bruce Lee movie, but it was kind of like old theater where you're like, yada, 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 where's the next song? Yeah. That's kind of how that was, you know? Bring me the song and dance number. Yeah, exactly. I came here to hear the music and watch people kick face. And that's exactly what, what you know, that movie was. It was, I, I want to see Bruce Lee kick ass everywhere and let's yada, yada through the story. Yeah. It could be any story. But this, the the martial arts was truly baked into the narrative, again, at every level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's clear that these guys love the genre, you know, just so at large. And there are so many other reference points that they call to from other movies as well mm-hmm. that I just, I think that it really hits the mark on... Um, oh, here's, here's something else, actually, that I did mean to bring up. One of the other things they ran into, difficulty-wise, of getting the film made... Mm-hmm. was they also ran into issues finding uh, Asian production companies, Asian-run production companies that wanted to do it because they weren't sure that, uh, for them, they felt that it was more of a stereotype to go and do another martial arts movie about, you know, an, an Asian lead. Mm-hmm. And so he was wanting to go and try and do something that, that still did an Asian lead martial arts film, but wasn't what people think of, you know, yeah, as what was, that is. It was really refreshing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great, um, again, it's great, like evolution of, of the genre, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, Asian martial artists. No. I just, to, you know, to their point, to, it, it can be tiresome. It can be, we we do it a lot, but I think that this is a is a is a good example of what that can look like in the right light without just being another cliche. No, absolutely. So if you had to rate the Paper Tigers out of five, what would you give it? I'm gonna give Paper Tigers a four and a half. Okay, I'll go four and a half. Cool. Look at us tying it up. Um Speaking of tying it up, I guess we should start to tie up this show. Oh my gosh, perfect. That was, I did not do that on purpose. Transitions. <laughs> to end things, I guess we should talk about first what we usually talk about, which is what we've been watching. We've actually watched some things this week, we guys. We have. I know, it's shocking. Us working people, finding the time, am I right? That's right. 
Uh, so we recently watched... Oh, yeah, we've got three for y'all. So we watched... We had a busy weekend. Exactly. We watched Men, Chippendale, and uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Men, um, it is not for everyone. I'm not even going to kind of hint at what happens in the third act. But um, it's not for everyone. Um... But like it is something it it's it it's to be seen to be believed. It is seared into my retinas forever. This is something that I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna pull out as an old granny and be like, this one time I saw this movie that and it's gonna projected be projected like, twenty feet wide exactly. in front of my eyes. And and they're gonna they're gonna look at me and they're gonna say, Nana, that's not real and I'm gonna go, Oh yes it is <laughs> And I'm gonna dig up this disc. Yep, that's right. Um, I'm gonna show the youngins. I'm gonna traumatize the youngins in the in that third act. That's right. But honestly, no. I I think that I thought that the movie was unforgettable, and like I really enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the message of the the underlying message of the movie a lot. Um, and I thought that the performances were fantastic. But to your point, this movie is not for everyone. No. Not even a little bit. Open your mind and dive on in. If you literally cannot do that, don't even bother. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, uh, Chippendales. Uh, Chippendale uh, Rescue Rangers. You know, it's fun. It's in that same vein as Who Framed Roger Rabbit or um, Last Action Hero. Yes. That kind of thing. Nightmare for Legal Departments. mm all that clearance. Honestly, of the the versions of this movie that we've had recently, which would be kind also of, kind of a little bit Ready Player One. Oh, I was gonna say the like the new Space Jam movie that's garbage. Oh yeah, that's fair. If I had to choose this one all the way. Oh yeah, yeah 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 yeah. yeah. We're gonna we're gonna pay hot money to to watch this movie again you because know? this movie also has some legitimately funny jokes. Yeah, where that movie isn't funny and it's terrible. Some of these jokes actually land. And had me openly laughing. Oh, yeah. And honestly, like, it's a it's a good, nice, just, like... Breeze of a movie. Yeah, you know, it's it's not extraordinary, um, but... Technologically, it's a marvel. Oh, it's yeah. It's so impressive also, just to watch visually. Oh, yeah, no, they're doing some great stuff on the, the, the visual artistry. Um, but, like, the movie itself, like, it's fine. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You know? Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It is a Marvel movie. <laughs> That's all I've got. It is. You know what? There, um, was some, there was some pretty sweet action. There was some pretty bonkers visuals. And Elizabeth Olsen ran away with pretty much the whole movie, followed by some of Sam Raimi's direction overall. Um... And the rest of the movie was a Marvel movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I completely, 100% agree with everything that you said. 1,000%. Um, like, it is a Marvel movie. And if you don't watch them, you're not going to know what's going on here. So just pass. Um, but the visuals were awesome. I thought that they really did the multiverse in an interesting way um, that didn't feel like uh, every other version of a multiverse ever. Um, 
and I and I and I thought it was fun to kind of go through these weird different worlds for a little bit, kind of like a Rick and Morty sketch, except for like the movie version of it. Um, I thought it was weird that they didn't like advertise America Chavez literally More. at all. In She's the, in, I think, one of the trailers. Yeah, but I'm sure it's just kind of like a close up on a person and like. You probably, again, if you aren't in the know, know who that person is. And so, like, it could have been anybody to me who's never heard of America Chavez, but that's fine. Like, I thought that her powers were interesting. But, like, I don't know. I just think that Marvel does a weird job with their marketing in, in the sense where they were like, oh, it's definitely Benedict Cumberbatch and a smidgens of, of Elizabeth Olsen and definitely not this girl. You know, and no, yeah. like you could have definitely, you could have had a platform for a new artist coming to the, to the forefront instead of like hiding it. Like it's your, your shameful secret. No, I you get know? that. She, this movie is about her. <laughs> um, beyond what we've been watching, the only other things that I wanted to bring up, uh, there was the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 trailer that leaked and then they put it out officially well i mean once it's leaked literally and the world saw it i mean that thing spread like wildfire yeah they they gave up <laughs> and it, it blew up the internet and so i think that they were like well we gotta you know why why stop the momentum no yeah if, we're if just the people are hungry to see it no for sure we're just gonna do it on our terms now you yeah. know um but let me tell you like all mission impossible trailers from the last several mission impossible films looks like a fucking madness madness fueled movie and i cannot wait to see it uh tom cruise is a lunatic always but in the best kind of ways these movies are just so kick ass oh they're so good every every time i see a trailer for a new one i'm like sign me up no, yeah. Give it here. <laughs> and, like, this is kind of, I Man, this must have been how pe- people felt back in the day when, like, a Bond trailer would drop. And, like, nowadays, I don't know if that's how I feel about a Bond trailer dropping. But, like, this are, thing was... This thing <laughs> looked awesome. There are many <laughs> movies, period, that I respond to the way that I respond to the Mission Impossible trailer or uh, to that fucking IMAX preview of Top Gun Maverick. Oh, that was awesome. Explosive. So good. Cinema. <laughs> uh, and then there's the Thor Love and Thunder trailer, the new one that finally gave us our first look at uh, Gore the God Butcher, uh, the, the Christian Bale character. Uh, and we also got more of a look at uh, Natalie plot. Portman's Thor. Yes, the plot. Um, is it a rom-com? Yeah, for sure. I think. Okay. Okay. Um, like I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, but it like at its core is just a rom-com. Yeah, (laughs) and the the last one was a comedy as well. You know, that's definitely Taika bringing his very particular voice to it. Is there's no real hiding that it's a. It's an action comedy, very much on the forefront, more than other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I am looking forward to just seeing if Christian Bale is actually trying or if Christian Bale is here for the money. I'll be really curious to see which one we get. 
That's right. Oh gosh, I mean that would be like a running thing for Marvel at this point. Um, a bunch of a bunch of actors just cashing in that that villain paycheck and having a good time. That's right. One and done. You see, this is the only way, honestly, to be in a Marvel movie one time. Come in, be a villain, do whatever you want, have as much fun as you want, Get work murdered. as hard as you want, leave. Yep, that's right. Get killed in the end. Or Maybe whatever. you get to show up as a fun cameo later in a multiverse thing. That's right. That's right. And you get a paycheck then too. Exactly. And then you get to go home and 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 sit on your Marvel money. You get you get your movie money. You get your action figure money. That's right, <laughs> man. You're living the best life. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, and you didn't have to try. <laughs> the last thing that I wanted to bring up was a recent study that came out it's uh titled thumbs down film critics and gender and why it matters and it's a recent study and report that was put together that was trying to look at some of the demographics in the media landscape and in particular the media landscape in relation to critics mm-hmm. and uh, apparently, as of 2022, early numbers are suggesting that men outnumber women in the field two to one. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so, men account for about 69% of critics, women account for about 31%, and non-binary people account for less than a percent. 0.3%. Jesus. Um, the percentage actually has dropped from 2016 to 2022 uh, by 4%, uh, had steadily dropped, excuse me, from 2016 to 2020, but has dropped by 4% in the last two years. If I was going to attribute anything to that, it would probably be, probably one, just in general, be, I guess, some of the consolidation of some of this stuff. Two, also probably um, the pandemic I mean, having the, a lot of the the impact on the recent because like who a lot of the people that lost work were were women because they either had to they were either cut laid off of work mm-hmm. uh, or you know a lot of them ended up having to go and stay at home because they didn't have anyone else to watch their kid. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's probably what accounts for. The most recent, like, 4% drop. No, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, times are hard. Yeah. And it's not like this job pays. Yeah. Even if you are in reputable publications, you're probably working multiple publications, releasing books, trying to do speaking engagements. So even a lot of the people that are on the higher end side of this thing aren't like raking in the money um and so it's it's really quite interesting and if you if you look further at it um the 2022 data also shows that 74 percent of men uh wrote reviews and 26 percent of all reviews were written by women which is 8% less than two years ago. Mm. Um, and so the, the sort of final findings of it for a, a quote that comes from this is 
The findings suggest that because male critics outnumber female critics and men are more likely to review films with male directors, these films achieve greater visibility in the marketplace. Well, then we just have to try harder here on the film buds to to have more representation, which we've been doing. So good for us. And thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but that is that does, to your point, highlight exactly why we have been aiming to do this is it it puts in black and white exactly why representation matters yes uh you know when you only have someone who's looking for one kind of thing yeah and only talking about one kind of thing and that dominates the discourse then that's going to be the only thing that anybody's talking about and that's any exposure yeah that's there's so much art, there are so many movies that exist that haven't been touched in, in generations that haven't because because they weren't the they weren't that. They weren't they didn't have that it factor. It's kinda like, um, you know, people are always like, Well, they're the most popular thing. Well, yeah, because that's the thing that everyone is spending the money on. That's what everyone is currently talking about because that's, like, what's hogging up all of the airspace. Yeah, you know, obviously you know about the movies that advertise the most. They're the movies that advertised the most. Yeah, they're making it so hard for your subconscious to forget it because they're constantly, you know, you're constantly being bombarded by it. Right, you know, it's it's the similar kind of thing that ended up sort of happening with... Uh, you know, Trump in 2016. Mm-hmm. His antics drew attention. Mm-hmm. So then, but instead of giving everyone fair attention, mm-hmm. he was bringing the most attention, so then he got a whole bunch of free airtime. Mm-hmm. Because that's what was bringing in the most viewers. Yeah. And so it's it, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, I remember constantly I would get bombarded with ads for that new Jeeper by the Dozen movie that's got, like, Gabrielle Union in it, and I, it didn't make me go, oh my gosh, I really want to watch this movie. It literally made me go, oh, god damn it, why this again? You know, like, I just kept, kept trying to, like, skip past it. I, it didn't make me want to go and watch that movie anymore, but that doesn't mean they didn't try. No, that's fair. They wasted a lot of money trying to, to trying to get me on that hook. <laughs> uh, but I guess that also does sort of lead me into the, the last thing that I wanted to ask you before doing potentially one more thing, um, which was uh, now that we have finished the month mm-hmm. and we've talked about all of the movies, what were your thoughts on... Uh, AAPI month and our our journey through Asian American and Pacific Islander representation uh in film. Um I thought it was I thought it was a fun time. Um I really enjoyed it. Um I guess my only well no those are the Pacific Islands. Never mind. I was like I guess my only gripe was going to be that like the 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 such scarcity of like I guess western pacific island specific things does that make sense like like the things in in our side of the pacific ocean yeah i understand what you're talking about um no i i see what you mean there are certain ways in which i did not cover you know no and i know that there's just you know 
there's no way to cover yeah. an entire, um, you know, ethnic yeah. identity in in just, what, eight movies? Yeah, something seven? like that. I think we did seven because we only did Bruce Lee, yeah. the one. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the month. It's, this was a lot of fun to, to get to, to learn the history um, and get to see a whole slew of movies that I'd literally never seen before in my entire life, which is always great um, because it's, it's so important to go out and, and see some things from somebody else's perspective that's not just somebody commenting on somebody else's culture. Yeah. You know, it's these are people talking about their own lives, their own ideas and 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 their 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 family stories and I think that that's that's such a that's such a rare gift, that's such a voice that, you know, you don't get to get to experience in in mainstream media. Yeah. That often. And like I know that we're we're trying, but like the thing is 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 it's so f- so long overdue that the fact that they're going five miles per hour, like, it's almost like they're not going anywhere at all at this point. Yeah. Um, but I love what we're, we're doing here and I'm, I'm glad that we had this month and we got to, to celebrate, you know, something that neither of us are familial with, um, in any way, shape or form. So this was, this was a, this was a good time. No, I, I really enjoyed the month as well. It's, you know, as as someone who has always loved film, I have always enjoyed how much you can experience and see, you know, with with a movie. And 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 you can have such a breadth of experiences. And we did really get to experience that this month. I really enjoyed it. We went through a lot of different tones and textures and time periods and and we got to touch on a lot of different ideas and and history and it was it was really really fun and it it's all that good stuff that just helps expand the mind, you know, and expand empathy and 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 you know, uh I I hope that you all enjoyed also that process as, as well cuz I certainly had quite a quite a good time going through the month myself. Yes, you know, getting to go down historical rabbit holes that I, as a human being born in America and have lived here my entire life, was never going to experience if I didn't go looking for it. No. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so if you don't mind, we're now going to actually try out something. Uh, I don't think that it'll take too terribly long i think that we actually lucked out and got some of the shorter ones yeah um so we're actually going to crack out something that we made it's called the friend of the show questionnaire Woo! Uh, i have a series of questions i'm going to keep adding questions to it and uh, whenever we have a friend of the show on we're going to sit down and ask them Five random questions from the friend of the show questionnaire that I have generated. And so I decided that since we don't have a friend of the show right now, but why wait? I decided that I would guinea pig it on on my dear co-host and wife, Lauren, who's my, my original friend of the show. 
Aww. My friend of the show in marriage. Oh, precious. <laughs> and uh, so I guess without further ado, if you're ready, why don't we go ahead and, and do some of this friend of the show questionnaire? Okay. All right. So question one. If you were hosting this show for one episode, what movie would you discuss? I don't know. There's so many good movies. Um, I think that I would probably pull like a movie that I was familiar with, you know, not just like pick something like, um, you know me, I like to have context. You want to be in your wheelhouse? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I'd probably pull something like from way back, maybe like, oh gosh, I don't know, like, like Atlantis. <laughs> all right uh i like it i like it you know like i i used to watch that movie so much and it would be like my fern gully yeah you know for for mad uh three or excuse me two what's the first movie you remember crying in titanic oh okay wow you came up with that one quick I cry at that movie every single time. And that's the first movie you remember crying in? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, I I don't know. I think that I really connected with the the main, you know, the main storyline of it. And, like, spoiler alert for Titanic, like, Jack dies. And it was just, like, really hard for me as a, as a kid to, to wrap my head around the idea of, like, these two people falling in love just for that love to be so, like fleeting and passing and it was just you know it's it always makes me it always makes me cry and i think that it 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 is emphasized by the celine dion song that like you know sticks with you longer than the movie does (laughs) no that's fair uh question number three what's your favorite scene in a movie that's my favorite scene in a movie Mm -hmm. um I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Anything come to mind? Memorable scene. Um, my brain started thinking about like all of the chopping sequences and like Ratatouille. Okay. It, it's just really satisfying, and I the, the the chaos of a kitchen like perfectly melded down into like a working like uh, machine almost is like it's 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 really interesting and really cool because also like. I wouldn't survive in that kitchen. Um, but that was the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking of, like, a memorable scene. Like, instantly it was, like, the the, the shots where you're, like, really in on the, the knife chopping the, the vegetables and things. Especially when he's, like, doing the, the ratatouille part of the, the movie. No, yeah, that's, um, that's probably the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Question number four. What's the sexiest movie? It it I still stand by um it's Showgirls. Okay. Um I think not in the sense that like the movie is 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 sexy in the sense that like it's like supposed to turn you on. You know what I mean? But like it is. You know, I think that they live in this nice like nebulous of making the, the making the sex appeal um 
palatable and, and almost forgettable in a sense where like these are just their lives but like it's still trying to be sexy because they are showgirls um yeah and you just you get to you get to see a lot of naked people so you know there's that if that's what you're into sexy <laughs> <laughs> uh and last if you could watch a movie one once again for the first time what would it be I'm trying to decide if, because we, we chatted about this on the on the phone one day while I was at work, whether or not I want to choose the movie that I told you then or not. Okay. If I had to watch a movie for the very first time again, like, what would it be? Hmm. I mean, you can go with that answer. No, yeah, I was just trying to think if I, if I had a better one. <laughs> or not. You know, something different. Expand the mind. Um... No, I think I will still go with it. Um, I'm gonna choose Avatar. That's gonna that's gonna be my answer. Um, that movie was huge when it came out, and I think that it had like it still holds like all of my excitement that I had for like movies like that. Um, you know those early those early like action romance movies, and I I really identified with with Zoe Zaldana I was like it was one of those things where seeing somebody who looked so much like me on film and was so successful as an actor was like really invigorating for me as as a you know as a high schooler was like all right if she can achieve this then like there's nothing stopping me now in this industry because there have already been people who have who have paved the way no I I I I think that that's absolutely I think that that's all like a really great reason to to want to watch that movie again, and especially because that is such a great performance of of Zoe Saldana's as well. Like, yeah, it's, it's a powerhouse performance. Artist. And like, not that saying that like she's not always given her one hundred percent, but like that's her role. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, who cares about coming home to dinner? You watch that for Bernie Mac, you know. But you're watching Avatar for Zoe Saldana. <laughs> I don't even know who plays uh, Jake Sully. I really don't know his name. His name is Jake Sully in my head. <laughs> Sam Worthington. Never going to remember that. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll, I'll answer these as well. Um, what's, what's the first movie you remember crying in? Uh, it's Shrek. Really? Uh, the first one? What's, the, uh, what's, what's your favorite scene in a movie? Um, it's the scene where Shrek is like bathing and brushing his teeth. You're jacking with me right uh, now. What's what's the sexiest movie? I just talked about it. It's Shrek. <laughs> I'm crying. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could watch one movie again for the first time, <laughs> it would be Shrek. So. Somebody <laughs> once right. told me. <laughs> <laughs> is full of lies right now (laughs) i'm glad that i got you on the first one no honestly once you told me it was shrek i was like you've never talked about this movie like this (laughs) (laughs) not one time have you mentioned that that wonderful oscar winning performance Mm -hmm. that brought me to tears (laughs) that brought you straight to tears Mm -hmm. (laughs) erotic cinema shrek (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's where you should have put the bathtub part that's right <laughs> this is the sexiest part is him in the bathtub um that's honestly all that we have 
for the show for y'all. It ended um, perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening, dear. Before we before we really wrap it up, do you have anything else that you wanna wanna say to the listeners? Um, I don't know. Um, well, give us a give us a suggestion. Honestly, yeah, we haven't had any listener questions since we we took over the show, and we're starting to feel a little neglected. So you know, let's let's. Heal these wounds, <laughs> and get your get your keyboard fingers ready to type us up a question at at the Film Buds Podcast at gmail dot com. That's right. And go and do it right now before you forget. You know, you're in the car. I don't care. Write us a question. Pull over. <laughs> do it right now. Cause an accident. Mm-hmm. Because it's I'm important. Because I'm tired of feeling like I'm talking into the void. <laughs> Are you there? And that's all I have to say to the dear listeners. <laughs> uh, and I guess with that in mind, of course, always go and check out all of our previous episodes if you haven't for this month. It was a really fun month. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that we did this month. So please go back, check out our Bruce Lee episode, check out our family drama episode, check out our documentary episode. We've got some really great stuff. Be sure to come back next week when we start up our our new theme, which will be revealed in our newsletter, which you should go and sign up for as well. With your fingers. Warm them up, people. You got I've work got, to do. Yeah, come on. Chop, chop. <laughs> All right? This show isn't going to pay its bills on itself. That's right. That's right. Get those phalanges come ready. On. So, uh, thank you as always, of course, for following. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye!